to the Not Our 39th Show show, here on Box 39. Put the message in the box, put the box into the car, drive the car around the world, until you get hurt. Hello and welcome to Box 39, the treasure chest of magazine, music and the funny side of life rooted in our community here on 106.6 FM Colm Radio. I am Bill Lawrence and I'm live here in Studio One at Colm Radio Towers with Ian Tallentire, Mike Harwood and Adrian Cohen. This week we present our Not Our 39th Show. It's a celebration of the fact that this is not our 39th show. In fact, we don't keep count of our shows as they flow from our studio like organic, nourishing streams which merge and blend under the sustained sunshine of Cone Radio, high up here in Cone Radio Towers. So, coming up on our not our 39th show this week, we take a taxi ride around some forts in India. We meet a man who helps Syrian refugees adapt to life in Colchester. And we meet Marcella, a South American student telling Northeast Essex listeners about her new life in Southeast Asia. More great examples of how community bonds and supports us and binds us wherever we are in the world. So, send us your texts and tweets. We are at Box39. As we open the Box39 not our 39th show show you're listening to out of box 39 with bill lawrence adrian cohen and ian talentire with special guest mike harwood here on cone radio Yes, welcome once more to Box 39 here on 106.6 FM, Colm Radio, and this is Gang Exit with a revival of one of their songs from their very first album, The Sunlight Hurts My Eyes. Tonight's show is a departure somewhat from our normal studio procedures. As listeners will probably be aware, I sit in the senior presenter's chair here in Studio One at the big desk with all the shiny knobs, uh, buttons and faders in front of me, which I fiddle with to ensure the creamiest wall of radio sound each week. And of course, I have the biggest mic. Now... Uh, after receiving a letter from the Inland Revenue and on the advice of the Tax Avoidance Department here at Com Radio, I am handing over my big presenter's chair this week to Ian, Adrian and Mike, which I'm assured will be sufficient for me to no longer qualify for the higher rate of senior presenter's airtime tax. Now, all I hope is that they will rise to the challenge. Um, I can tell you that it is a lonely place sitting on that worn red leather seat, looking down on the co-presenters below, huddled around their battered and graffitied junior presenters table with its uh, much smaller mics, there's empty scotch egg packets and of course the half-drained bottles of gin. And uh, such are the demands uh, increasingly paced upon senior presenters from Colm Radio executives. Like forever smoother fader action, for uh, accountable and accurate travel expenses. And uh, from this month, we must even pay for every time we let our family and friends enjoy the spa and wellness centre here at Colm Radio Towers. From those 
those more junior co-presenters who hope one day to step up to senior presenter level, there can be very damaging damaging jealousy, uh, as we found last month from Alan, our London-based arts and media co-presenter, whose contract I just had to terminate. I was really saddened to discover his plot to introduce his own designs for merchandise onto Bay 39, the uh, Box 39 online shopping channel for happy and fashionable radio leisure wear, and uh, his conspiracy to reduce the value of my uh, autographed radio presenter's photo by absolutely flooding the market with what were clearly thousands of very poorly made fakes from China. So this won't be easy for Ian, Adrian and Mike uh, tonight, as one by one they mount my senior presenter's chair. Now they must bring their undoubted talent to my big mic and show confidence and some strong knob action to the multitude of crossfades, level adjustments and play-out timing alterations like a show that, uh, like Box 39, really demands. I wish them luck and success and sufficient airtime as senior presenters so that I don't uh, cross over the senior presenter airtime tax threshold for this current financial year. community here in North East Essex, what really matters? How different is life wherever we live? For the five miles to the Amber Fort at Jaipur in northwest India, I have hired a tuk-tuk taxi. These are the remarkable and quite ubiquitous auto rickshaws that exist in abundance throughout every part of India. Usually painted dark green and yellow and then idiosyncratically decorated further by their driver. They are in abundance. Actually, abundance doesn't really do justice to the sheer overwhelming number of these that line every road and street, are on every street corner and outside markets, shops and hotels. In fact, they should be the national symbol for India. A tuk-tuk is so nicknamed because of the repetitive chuckle of its small two-stroke engine. Think of it as a three-geared lawnmower engine attached to a very small and canopied rickshaw or three-wheeled bicycle. The single front wheel is directly controlled by the handlebars that the driver holds and on which the electric horn mechanism is mounted. With thumb almost permanently pressing this device, every tuk-tuk warns, informs, greets and condemns throughout every journey. Behind the driver sit the passengers on a small bench seat, under canvas with open sides. The tuk-tuk can turn on a sixpence and can be pulled, pushed or even lifted into any space. As I tuk-tuk-tuk through Jaipur's busy streets heading towards the Amber Fort, my driver for the day is Papu. Papu is a wiry man with an impressive and proud moustache who grew up in the hinterlands that lie along the India-Pakistan border, not far from where we are. He wears his work uniform, a pale blue buttoned shirt, which he removes when not driving. As we wind our way along the wooded switchback roads towards the Amber Fort, Papu tells me that he became a taxi driver six years ago when, with four children at home, he wanted to spend more time with them. So he left the small shop he had run for over 20 years and gave up his daily commute 
of over four hours. He bought his first tuk-tuk with cash, says Papu, paying a 40,000 rupee deposit, just over 400 pounds, for his second-hand 10-year-old tuk-tuk, and then paid the balance over 36 monthly instalments. Now, Papu proudly tells me, he has a second tuk-tuk, which is rented from him by another much younger driver just starting out. At one point, high up in the grounds of the fort, he takes me to a small balcony. And there is the whole city of Jaipur laid out below. Watch this, says Papu. And he speaks briskly on his mobile. Far below, his children run up onto the roof of his house and they wave excitedly at us and their dad. Babu's tuk-tuk is decorated carefully with a couple of phrases from the Quran and some elaborately beaded stars. He frequently and carefully wipes the relentless Indian dust from the dark green paint with a cloth. As dusk comes, the tiny space behind the passengers lights up like a Christmas tree with pink blue and red LED lighting, as do his handlebars. Like taxi drivers in every town and city that you've ever been to, there are the good, the great and the truly awful drivers. I decide Papu is good. He's avoided the worst potholes and traffic and I've never been uncomfortable. He has looked after me from nine in the morning to seven in the evening, driven me on a winding road to the amber fort that has severely tested the gearing of his taxi, taken me to a great restaurant for my lunch, stopped to get me water from a shop, and has kept me entertained and informed all day. For all this, Papu has charged me just over nine pounds. <laughs> I decide that Papu should really be classed as a great taxi driver after all. This is Aid. Live once again from the senior presenter's chair here in Studio One at Cone Radio Towers. And a chance now for me to respond to a few texts in our digital mailbag that we have received so far on the show. Here's a text from uh, Donna in Norwich. But it's a different Donna, not the Donna that normally is in touch. Uh, this is a new Donna, uh, a different Donna. And it says, As a butcher is shooing a dog from his shop, he sees 20 pounds and a note in his mouth reading, 10 lamb chops, please. Amazed, he takes the money, puts a bag of chops in the dog's mouth and quickly closes the shop. He follows the dog and watches him wait for a green light, look both ways, then trot across the road to a bus stop. The dog checks the timetable and sits on the bench. When a bus arrives, he walks around to the front and looks at the number and then boards the bus. The butcher follows, dumbstruck. As the bus travels out into the suburbs, the dog takes in the scenery. After a while, he stands on his back paws to push the stop bell and then the butcher follows him off. The dog runs up to a house and drops his bag on the step. He barks repeatedly. No answer. The owner responds, genius my foot, it's the second time this week he's forgotten his key. The dog goes back down the path, takes a big run and throws himself whap, against the door. He does this again and again, no answer. So he jumps on a wall, walks around the garden, barks repeatedly at a window, jumps off and waits at the front door. Eventually a small guy opens it and starts cursing and shouting at the dog. The butcher runs up and screams at the guy, What the hell are you doing? That dog's a genius! The owner responds, 
Oh, I read this line earlier, but didn't I? I wasn't supposed to. The owner responds, Genius, my foot. It's the second time this week he's forgotten his key. Now, I, I didn't get that right, I'm sorry. I read the, uh, the, pen, the, uh, the punchline out uh, prematurely. But it's, it's still a funny joke. What's in the box? What's in the box? This is the wonderful House Gang Exit, our house band live here in the studio with Trouble at the Golden Egg in Walton on the Nays. You're listening to Box 39, the treasure chest of magazine, music and the funny side of life, rooted in our community here on 106.6 FM, Cone Radio. I'm Ian Talentire, sitting here in the senior presenter's chair in Studio One, up on the fourth floor of Cone Radio Towers, right on the waterfront of the River Cone, in the beautiful and ancient Essex town of Wivenhoe. On our not our 39th show, this week, we've been asked to focus on the number 39 and to talk briefly about the 39th person in our contacts list and the 39th song on our mobile phone. Alan Rogers, who I first met when I was all of 13 years of age at Burnage High School for Boys in Manchester, is that person, the 39th person on my contacts list. He was a great chap, used to look after me on the rugby field, making sure I didn't get pummeled half to death. And we uh, now only really contact one another when England are playing Wales. Because with a name like Alan Rogers, he's a bit Welsh. And with a name like Ian Talentire, bizarrely, I'm a bit English. So uh, there tends to be a little bit of banter and playfulness uh, on the old texty devices on the run-up to any Six Nations match involving those two teams. My 39th song on my mobile phone is Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen an absolute rock classic and a song that brings back wonderful memories of two weeks of a particularly hot and sultry camping holiday in the south of France where I was introduced to these two charming young ladies from Blackpool. But I think that's enough of that. Mike Harwood, your roving reporter, and today I'm at Colchester Police Station interviewing Sergeant Rob Edgar, who's a member of the local policing team in Colchester, who's been doing some fantastic work with ethnic and minority groups in Colchester and refugee action, and he's going to uh, tell us about uh, how he got involved, the work he's been doing, and um, there'll be a reference to a famous football match in which the refugee team beat the police 5-3. They want to return. Tell us about how you got involved with uh, such good work. Thanks, Mike. Um, so um, I work on the local policing team here at Colchester, and predominantly my um, role is to attend um, those calls made by members of the public to the police and to investigate um, crimes. Um, I was introduced um, in 2017, probably the summer of 2017, to the um, Colchester Ethnic Minority Forum who do some fantastic work supporting the, the ethnic minorities within the Colchester district. And um, from liaising with them and working closely alongside them, I was um, introduced um, to the refugee, or uh, Colchester Action Refugee. And um, last year, in 2017, Essex Police were able to support uh, the Culture Ethnic Minority Forum, um, putting on an event at Culture First Sight which was the Festival of Rice and Spice, 
was a fantastic event um, for all the communities within the culture district to come together mm-hmm. and um, share their differences. So this was done through dance, through food, through yeah. activities, and it was an absolutely amazing event, also yeah. attended by the Syrian community. Uh-huh. The food uh, is uh, incredible. I found at that it, event. It was so amazing. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I probably ate too much. It was, it was, that, it was that good. <laughs> I um, and yeah. within um, us supporting the event, from, from the police point of view, it was about us looking to break down um, barriers with certain communities mm-hmm. that we don't necessarily um, have much interaction with. Right. And one of those was predominantly the Syrian community, who we understand um, from their own countries um, uh-huh. may have a distrust of the police or have, have had bad experience with the police. Yeah. We wanted to really show that the, the Syrian community and other communities, that's not what the police are like in, in, uh-huh. in England. Um, and we're here yeah. to be approachable and trusted and support them. And we sure. wanted to make them feel welcome uh, within our country. So um, after the success of the Festival of Rice and Spice, um, I stayed working with um, Action Refugee Culture Club, mm-hmm. or sorry, Refugee Action Culture Club, yeah. um, and um, I attended uh, the, the fantastic meetings that they put on at First Sight, mm-hmm. um, where they again support the local Syrian yeah. community in helping them to, to achieve a number of um, mm-hmm. things in terms of living in, in this country. Yeah, and I think and, they have a monthly meeting where they bring people together that have just come here. Uh, and they meet people when they feel less alone they're supportive in all kinds of ways it's exactly that Mike they they do an absolutely fantastic Mm. job and through food um, again they they break down those barriers and and can introduce those that have come to our country to to help them live here and and, and, and like you said to not feel alone and and I feel it's quite important that the police are part of that as well Uh Um, because we're we're as much much part of the community as the Syrian community Um, so we, we, we want them to feel welcome so I got to meet, meet some fantastic people uh-huh. um, through that, whether it be the workers um, and the Syrian community. And it was really, it was a pleasure for me to attend and uh-huh. they all made me feel so welcome. Right. And it was just fantastic to, to meet those, especially the children that maybe had never had any interaction with, with English police officers before. Yeah. Um, and you could see that initially um, there was that a little bit standoffish in terms of a bit of fear, didn't know what to expect, mm. but as we engaged, their confidence grew. They got used to, to your warmth and your communication and the support and most responded to it, which is most so important. Like, yeah. And, and they their confidence and so on. Yeah, and yeah. You could, it was it was just a pleasure for me to be, be yeah. a part of and see their confidence grow and yeah. take them out to the police car, put the lights and sirens <laughs> on, put the hat on, and they all loved it. And it was, yeah. it was, it was uh, it's something I'm really proud of that I've been able to be a part of that. And yeah. I like, can only thank them all for making me feel so welcome. Yeah. Um, so last year, um, uh, every year at Culture Police Station, we look to support local charities where uh-huh. we can. And um, one of the things I organised last year was a um, gift collection for the Syrian community children. Uh-huh. Um, I understand that a lot of them have come to the country and actually they've, they've come with nothing um, yeah. due to due to the um, you know travesties in, in their own countries they've yeah. fled and they, they've come here and, and probably seen well, a lot of unfortunate very kind of uh, disturbing uh, events and uh, it's all part of that sort of recovery uh, most definitely but yeah some of the stories that they've told me are absolutely yeah. horrendous and, and yeah. nothing that any child should have to witness right. or, or see so um, we just want to make a little gesture um, to hopefully make them feel welcome again yeah. and and, and break that, continue breaking down those, those barriers with those communities. Yeah. Yeah. So together with the friends, um, not foes at uh, Culture Sixth Form, and um, with the support of the Sixth Form, we were able to, able to hold a Christmas party. Uh-huh. Um, and, and when was that, Will? So that was Christmas of 2017. Oh, okay. Um, and it was an absolutely fantastic event, yeah. um, attended by, I think, the majority of the Syrian community yeah. we have in Colchester. And we were able to provide um, at least a couple of presents for each child. Yeah. And it was just a fantastic day. We, we got involved in the singing and dancing, yeah. and yeah. The, the college did a fantastic job. Yeah. And uh, it was just a fantastic day. Something like 75 presents were passed over. I, th- yeah. I think they worked out more than that in the end. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah we were able to provide.
provide at least two presents for every child and, and the remaining presents that we have left over we were able to take to the uh, local refuges in Colchester uh-huh. to provide to the children um, yeah. staying there so the, the presents didn't go to waste right. uh, but yeah it was a brilliant day um, yeah. and again I've continued working with the Syrian community since then uh-huh. and attending the meetings and continuing to break down those barriers yeah. and from that I like to think I've, I've made some um, close friends yeah. and friends that will keep yeah. for life yeah. I'm sure you have and I've heard very positive you know, much appreciated mm. from the people in Refugee Action pick up a couple of texts and emails that have arrived since we've been on air. If you want to add to the conversation, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Our address is at box39. Thank you to Darren from Mark's Tame, who suggests that we should rename Box39 for this digital age, perhaps File39 or even Cloud39. He adds that he has already purchased the domain name box39.org.eu for when we need it, and says that he would do a reduced rate for old men like us. Mostyn from Stowmarket has sent us a text asking us, how did we all meet to form the Box39 team? Well, Mostyn, it wasn't like when Paul McCartney met John Lennon, which was a happy coincidence. Instead, the Box 39 team was put together as a commercial enterprise by Lord David Price when he was looking for something new on the radio to bury a substantial tax loss. We were pulled straight from Central Casting here at Colne Radio Towers and we made two pilot shows for Box 39. The first in black and white, the second, would you believe, in full Dolby colour. And after some short negotiations, our original musicologist was dropped and Adrian was brought in from Radio Stanway, a bold and adventurous move. And thus, Box 39, as we know, it was born. a go at our farewell speech that is delivered at the end of every show and whoever is best may be chosen for the end of this our not our 39th show show so can i ask adrian uh, can you step forward first please <coughs> um so from studio one up here on the fourth floor of uh, radio Cone, I mean, uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, Cone Radio Towers, high above the full and uh, futile lambs of Northeast. Now, that's capitalized in the script, and I don't see why it should be. They're just points of the compass. Small n, small e, I mean Northeast Essex. Uh, I, uh, whoops. <coughs> uh, anyway, <coughs> be seeing you. Okay, thank you very much. So, next please, Mike, off you go. So, from one's um, studio, I mean, um, Studio One, up here on the uh, fifth, uh, the fourth floor of Cone Radio Towers, high above the full frontal, uh, oh, oh, uh, the full and 
Well, fruity lumps of the northeast. Um, I mean, northeast Essex. Um, well, I hope you all know what I mean. And finally, Ian, please. So, from Studio One, up here on the fourth floor of Cone Radio Towers, high above the full and fertile lands of northeast England. Ta da! Okay, thank you, gentlemen. We'll be in touch. Box 39? What's in it then? This is the wonderful Ausgang Exit, our house band live. Here in the studio with their award. Here, sorry about that. That's not. That isn't. Uh, that's not very professional, is it? Let me just. Uh, uh, no. You might even hear the vibration, so I'm going to turn it off altogether. This is the wonderful Ausgang Exit, our house band live. Here in the studio with their award-winning song, March of the Mostly Domesticated Squirrels. I'm Adrian Cohen, sitting here in my senior presenter's chair in Studio One, up here on the fourth floor of Cone Radio Towers, with a wonderful view over the studio and watching the 16 men and women of Ausgang Exit perform with their usual style, panache, and in their specially adapted band uniforms. Somebody said to me the other day, they said, do you know Ausgang Exit? It's just the same word twice in a row. Ausgang is the German word for exit, and exit is the English word for Ausgang. So what you've got then is basically Ausgang Ausgang, or exit exit, Ausgang Exit. In other words, all that Ausgang Exit is, is a misunderstanding of a signboard in a German railway station. And uh, I said, uh, oh no, there's much more to Ausgang Exit than that. On our Not Our 39th Show show this week, we have been asked to focus on the number 39. Now, here in the script it says, aid ad lib 90 seconds. And that's caught me a little bit by surprise because I didn't actually take a look at the script before we sat down to make this edition of Box 39. Uh, now, uh, you know full well, I think, that I have broadcasting flowing in my veins and that's why when I get the chance on Red Button, I like to make wise and right on radio that is uh, deliberately making people's lives better. And, you know, I dream about. I aspire to the instruction. I gag for the instruction to ad lib for 90 seconds just to show people what I can do and how I am a natural born, not talented, but born to, uh, well, not born to it and talented, both talented and born into it and taught to be and trained to be a, a, uh, an ad libbing broadcaster. Uh, and yet, when the opportunity suddenly presents itself like this, it is actually a little bit of a tall order. Uh, especially when it says ad lib, and then it says on the theme of the number 39. Uh, I don't think I can do that. However, it doesn't really matter now because the 90 seconds is up. Over to you.
last year we had done the Festival of Rice and Spice, mm-hmm. um, and then um, this year we were able to support it for a second year through funding, mm-hmm. and um, it was even bigger and better. Um, yeah. Again, we, we encouraged more communities to come, yeah. and uh, it was just fantastic success. And it was of note that the Syrian community this year um, they were able to provide a food store. Yeah. Um, which was really nice to see, yeah. and they did some excellent falafel. Yeah, 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 <laughs> I've, ne- I've never had it before, but it was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, throughout working with them this year, I'm a big football fan. Yeah. Um, I know that a lot of people like football, and I'd heard yeah. that quite a lot of the Syrian community yeah. either played or enjoyed football. Yeah. So in the summer of 2018 in July whilst the World Cup was on yeah. I was able to um, work with Refugee Action and organise a uh, football match yeah. between Culture Police uh-huh. and uh, the Syrian refugee community Fantastic. so it was again it was an absolute fantastic day yeah. um, we had lots of families attend from the Syrian refugee yeah. community yeah. and it was really good for us the police as well because a lot of the police officers that, that attended, um, their roles are not necessarily frontline uh-huh. um, or not necessarily dealing with communities every day yeah. um, or having in that interaction with, with communities such as the Syrian community. Sure. So it's really beneficial for, for the officers as, as much as it was the so Syrian community. So between the officers, they actually uh, were communicating, finding out new things about their fellow uh, fellow officers and uh, very beneficial for you as well as the uh, as the. My Community. Most definitely, Mark. Yeah, it was, it was beneficial for both yeah. both sides, and it was yeah. a, it was a fantastic game. It was, yeah. it was I think it was on one of the hottest days of the year, so we were all yeah. all very sweaty and yeah. all very worn out um, yeah. after it. But it was brilliant. It sounds like my team Ipswich at the moment. They've had their first win on Saturday. Good suffering season to get on. But I know what it means to, to lose. So how did you feel being beaten by the refugees five three? Uh, although I was disappointed, <laughs> I couldn't pick a better group to have lost yeah. to. So yeah. they were very gracious. In yeah. their win, yeah. um, and I think I speak for everyone when I say everyone enjoyed it, whether yeah. it was those playing or those spectating. Um, yeah. Everyone had a fantastic day, and it, again, it just continued to work at breaking down those barriers. Yeah. And it wasn't necessarily just with me; it was with culture police uh-huh. as, a, as a whole. Yeah. And um, hopefully, that event such as that will now encourage yeah. the Syrian community to yeah. want one trust us, but be able to come to us if, yeah. if they need to. I know you've, you've done so much to initiate all this, which is fantastic. And you have got support from the police, from the community police, uh, and and funding. Yeah, that's great. So, so um, obviously, with the events such as the um, festival of rice and spice, mm-hmm. um, we've been able to achieve funding um, to put on events and support uh-huh. events such Excellent. as that. Whether it be from the um, local um, police station, uh-huh. or whether that's through. Um, uh, like the Essex Police Fire and Crime Commissioner uh-huh. has been able to support events um, with funding oh, wow. such as that as well. Yeah. Again, they're they're very pro on any yeah. such events that we can do to encourage um, those and support the communities around us. Maybe your such uh, you know, your positive examples you've been talking about will spread to other uh, police areas. Hopefully, I, I know um, it's, it's definitely been looked out to, to uh-huh. try and replicate these sort of events yeah. elsewhere within the county. Um, yeah. And it's something that Essex Police are very positive about yeah. and looking to do and yeah. certainly the support of um, Chief Inspector Kane at Colchester and uh-huh. the, the community policing team this is what they're trying to achieve yeah. and that is their, their role to, to break down those communities, get in amongst them yeah. and, and uh, hopefully we can um, achieve some really good work together yeah. and it's, yeah. we're doing that already but hopefully we can yeah. continue that. Yeah. and um, after the football match the, the Syrian community probably because they won um, <laughs> were very keen on um, us doing another event yeah. um, such as that so um, it will be probably after the, the, the winter months I'll probably yeah. look at again replicating sort of um, in the spring or maybe yeah, not quite as hot a day as you played in July I think maybe that <laughs> might give us a better chance next year Mike <laughs> yeah, I think that's, that's what we're putting it down to the, the heat yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah we're definitely looking to, to replicate yeah. something similar and it might be that we were able to do it with other communities within yeah. um, culture not just the, the Syrian yeah. community yeah. but any other uh, yeah, communities we thought would benefit with that yeah. interaction with the police yeah. no, it's very very heartening and spiriting and um have you got anything else in, in, in your, in your uh, programme ahead? Do you think? Um, 
Um, so we played the football next. Again, yeah. I continue to work closely with um, Refugee Action uh-huh. um, and um, look to support them where I can. Yeah. Um, I've been doing some work just with some um, of the families, local families that have been doing some um, individual work with them. Yeah. Um, in breaking down those barriers and supporting mm. them and their circumstances. Is that so, supporting them in all sorts of ways about yeah, applications yeah. or? Yeah. So one particular family that the, their son is looking to join the police. So I'm, uh-huh. I'm looking to hopefully um, help him and support him in achieving his goal. Um, right. He's currently doing some brilliant work and yeah. um, his English is get, he's really getting there. So yeah. once he's got his English down, we can start yeah. looking at um, his application yeah. process. So yeah. yeah, just really, well, just hopefully I can be that that point of contact, continue yeah. to be that, and um, yeah. they can feel confident in coming to, yeah. to either me or uh, other police officers in culture around yeah. Essex and, yeah. and to know that we're here to help them and yeah. to support them throughout for yeah. whatever they're going through. And of course, that all links around, doesn't it? Because the um, refugee action getting support from uh, EEO, the Exploring Educational Opportunities, and they're they're helping with English. And then that filters through to, for example. Uh, helping your your uh, friend friend who wants to come into the police force, so exactly, it's, it's like exactly draws right, in Michael. a whole lot of other other expertise of people, which is really yeah. good. Yeah. No, exactly, and yeah. I can't praise the work that Refugee Action no. Cops should do enough. They exactly. they all do such an amazing job, and yeah. they should all be very proud of what what yeah. they've done and what the, what they achieve. And yeah. you know, it, it's not just appreciated by the Syrian community what they do, but actually everyone yeah. in the community because they're, yeah. they're really making a difference. Yeah, be proud of what 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 they've achieved. Today. Yeah. Yeah, the people I've met are fantastic, and the work they do is just so uh, important and vital. And uh, yeah, and uh, okay, Rob, well, thank you very much. That's fantastic. And um, the way you've just one person starts something, and then it, the, the knock-on effect is just so heartening. And uh, uh, especially in this world where there's so many problems, and uh, it, it's actually really uh, raises spirits and will involve other people doing similar work so well, I hope so Mike and it's yeah. something I'm certainly very very yeah. proud of and, yeah. and will continue to be proud of in the yeah. future uh, just the last thing I know you're a Tottenham supporter um, any any uh, advice for Ipswich to stay up at all <laughs> <laughs> um, sign some decent players <laughs> and stop being so rubbish <laughs> yeah. put some money into the yeah into most the definitely yeah, yeah. okay Rob many thanks much appreciated thank, thank you Mike Live from the senior presenter's chair here in Studio One at Cone Radio Towers. We've received some emails during the week here at Box 39 office. Thank you ever so much for all of these. The first is from Lorna from Stanway who writes, I really enjoy your community features when you chat about and to the people who live around us. It's what makes community radio so much better than the other radio stations like Radio 2. Big and bouncy hits FM and Radio Stanway that my husband listens to in our car. I really enjoy your reports from communities around the globe, which have taught me that all communities have the same ingredients wherever they are in the world. In particular, I have really enjoyed your live reports from China, Indonesia, and most recently from India. But I would like to ask you who pays for you to undertake these difficult and expensive trips to the other parts of the world? Do you receive a grant from these places you visit? Well, thank you very much, Lorna, for your inquiry. And I'm very pleased to tell you that I have double-checked with the Cone Radio Presenters Travel Expenses Department on the third floor. And they have assured me that 100% of all flight costs, train tickets, overnight hotel accommodation, expenses and food bills are met by the residents of Wivenhoe through an agreed adjustment and surcharge on their community charge bill. Oh, and just one more quick text before we move on. This is from Virginia and Malcolm of Gusset Hill near St. Osith Priory, who want to say, 
congratulations to all involved at Box 39 for the magnificent milestone of this not being your 39th show. Your show is certainly special. Here's hoping you reach what might not be your 50th show soon, and perhaps with more from Mike and less from the other presenters, because we quite like Mike. Well, thank you. Well, I suppose it's a thank you anyway, Virginia and Malcolm. Keep listening. There will be more from Mike in this show once he returns from the cash point opposite Cone Radio Towers, where he has gone to get the cash to pay us for Ausgang Exit's bar bill tonight, which he is, of course, responsible for. So, hello, my name is Marcela. I'm from El Salvador, a small country in Central America. Uh, but I have been living in Germany the last five years and now I live in Indonesia. I moved to Indonesia January 2018 for a double degree at the University of Gajamada in Yogyakarta. right and so cone radio in collaboration with guppy productions and box 39 is able to present marcella's guide to studying in indonesia for colchester people from an el salvadorian perspective house with other international students now I move but I used to live in a big house with about 12 rooms we had a big pool it was actually it was a hotel before now it's a house just for internationals the house was really beautiful from the outside it had a lot of Jogjakarta uh, designs we had some small Buddhist statues My first semester, I used to live with three Germans, five French, and two Dutch girls. So I was the only one from Latin America, the only one speaking Spanish, but I got along really good, with, uh, really well with the other students. Some of them were from the same university as me in Germany, so I knew them before. Um, the house was very beautiful, but the kitchen used to smell really bad and there were a lot of geckos living there. There's a special Indonesian smell, which is like humidity, humidity but it's, it's weird and it's strong. So that was the smell of the kitchen. So <laughs> that's why we never cook and we just to order only food. Indonesia there is an application called Gojek where you can order food you can order supermarket you can order even a massage or if you want someone to make your hair or something or to clean your house you can order it for free uh, for you can you can order it and it's really really cheap so uh, ordering food will cost you about the food will cost you about three euros but just the delivery is no more than 20 cents. And even if you order with other people, you end up paying just five euros, uh, five, five cents to to have a, a meal. The food here in Jakarta is really cheap. 
I like it. I love it actually. One of my favorite dishes is lotek. Lotteks are some veg vegetables with some peanut sauce, with a traditional peanut sauce. Um, something I also like is nasi uduk. This is a rice made of coconut milk instead of only water. So the flavor is really strong and really good. Um, I like gudek, which is the traditional food here in Yogyakarta. Uh, normally I eat gudek every Monday for lunch because it's the, there's a lot of gudek placed close to the university, so it's the best, easiest thing to order. Uh, gudek is a kind of jackfruit sauce which is really sweet. Indonesians, well, more here in Yogyakarta, they love to put a lot of sweet here. So if you visit Indonesia, be sure to order every drink without sugar because once they put sugar, it's too sweet. That's why they say in, uh, in Yogyakarta the people are too sweet because they eat a lot of sugar. People here in Indonesia are also really, really charming. They love to take pictures with you. That's something I struggle a little bit because every place you go, they look at you like a stranger, like a superstar, and they ask you for a picture. You get used to that, but sometimes it's a little bit annoying when you have when you don't have that much time. Something I have learned here in Indonesia is to have patience because Indonesian takes so long for doing the things done. Never, never do something when you are out of time because you will get crazy. But it's, I think it's part of the culture and something cool because you see them every time really relaxed, they're not stressed, they're just going with the flow. So it's a peaceful place to live. Um, coming from a dangerous country like El Salvador, uh, I feel really comfortable here and really secure. I even feel more secure here than in Germany. This is our sensational house band, Ausgang Exit, live in the studio with their final performance tonight, playing that old favourite of mine, Scottish accountants having a sugar high. listening to Box 39, the treasure chest of magazine, music and the funny side of life rooted in our community, here on 106.6 FM, Cole Radio. I'm Mike Harwood, and it's my turn to sit here in my senior presenter's chair, oh yes, senior presenter's chair in Studio One at Cole Radio Towers. At last, I've made it into the senior presenter's chair. On or not our 39th show, the show this week, we've been asked to focus on the number 39 and to talk briefly about the 39th book on my bookshelf. Initially, I found this embarrassing because I only have 38 books. Uh, no, I'm joking. I've either got 390 or possibly 3,900. So I started counting from 1 to 39 on the books on my shelf, and I came up with A Street Cat Named Bob by James Bowen. And uh, it's about how one man and his cat found hope on the streets. When James Bowen found an injured ginger cat, 
a ginger cat, a ginger street cat, curled up in the hallway of his sheltered accommodation. He had no idea just how much his life was about to change. James was living hand to mouth on the streets of London and the last thing he needed was a pet. Yet James couldn't resist helping the strikingly intelligent Tomcat, whom he quickly christened Bob. Soon the two were inseparable and their diverse, comic and occasionally dangerous adventures would transform both their lives, slowly healing the scores of each other's troubled pasts. And because the theme is 39, I turned to 39 to give you a flavour. Page 39 of the book, Chapter 3, The Snip. And uh, it's about their relationship improving after um, Bob wasn't very well. And uh, it's interesting, it's called The Snip, just to give the whole thing a bit of drama. Here it is. As we approached the end of Bob's second week of medication, he was looking a lot brighter. The wound at the back of his leg was healing nicely and the bald and thin patches on his coat had begun to disappear and were being replaced by new thicker fur. He also seemed happier in his face. His eyes had a more lustrous gleam to them. There was a beautiful green and yellow glow to them that hadn't been seen there before. He was definitely on the road to recovery and his boisterousness around the flat was the ultimate proof of it. He had been a whirling dervish, flying around the place since day one. Close the book! I said the book! I'm here on the outskirts of Stockholm in Sweden, setting up the latest venture to try to promote cricket in this country. It's called, well, I don't know what it's called yet, but it's the first nude cricket match. Ten overs aside, and you can only play if you're over 60. You almost like a sort of swinging cricket match. But uh, there's no pads. Uh, you can wear a box if you want. Of course, to play, you have to pay a membership entrance fee by my good uh, offshore trust companies. I'll supply the food. When I got here, though, I noticed I just there was a there was a, a gap in the market. There didn't seem to be any salmon, so I've got an opportunity to uh, probably broaden their horizons with that. And of course, there's the betting on the side. There will be ball tempering during the course, of, and of course, there will be no, absolutely no, ball tempering during the course of the proceedings. When one of the females comes into bat, fielders are allowed as close to the batsman as possible. Adrian Cohen and Mike Harwood. Hi, 
this is Donna from Norwich. And so, from Studio One, up here on the fourth floor of Colne Radio Towers, high above the full and fertile lands of North East Essex, it's time for us to close Box 39 once more. Be seeing you. To fight the unbeatable Box 39 has been a Guppy production for Cone Radio.